Okay, now we're plowing our way through um, this Inside Out uh, series. This is number four, probably. No, it might be number five. Might even be number six. I've got no idea. But you can find out uh, what's gone before if you've missed it uh, on the website. Everything uh, is there, forward slash Inside Out. And um, again, the Twitter thing's there. Feel free to get your phones out. People use their phones these days to read the Bible. They use it to make notes. They use it to tweet what we're saying. So um, uh, that's all good, which means that if you want to use your phone for something else, you can, and you can look like you're doing what you're told. So um, if I'm that boring, then feel very free to use your phone for something more useful. If uh, you're winning on Temple Run, send me your scores, and, uh, uh, and we'll get on together with all that's serious for God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Would you help us? I need your help. We need your help to be who you're asking us to be. In fact, everyone needs your help. You said to those early disciples, whatever you do, don't go off and try and do this. Wait until the Spirit has come. Thank you that the waiting is over and the Spirit is here. So would you, by your Spirit, help us in every possible way to think differently, that we might live differently, that you might turn us inside out and make us more like the people that you are calling us to be. And all God's people said... Amen. Right, let's go. That's what I expected. What did I expect? We'll get to that in a minute. What I want to start is this. God is absolutely serious about growth. Everywhere you look in the world that God has made, growth is a fundamental part of uh, that process. Every plant, every animal, every human being has been created and designed to grow. And everything begins as a tiny cell, a single molecule from which more are added. The growth that God has made in his world is a growth by cells being able to reproduce themselves into more cells, into more cells, and you become something remarkable out of cells that began in a microscopic unit. And it's tragic in our world, when that natural growth and reproduction doesn't happen properly. There's nothing more beautiful and more cute than a child. There's little more tragic than a child unable, for whatever reason, to grow up. And so when the the growth that was part of the way the world was made to be doesn't happen, it's a tragic thing. And growth is not just within itself, is it? My hand stays alive because the cells in my hand are reproducing themselves. Turn to the person next to you and say to them, it's a good job, in about a month's time there'll be a completely new you. The moment, the moment that stops happening, it's all over. It's not just partly over. When that stops happening, it's over. The only things that do not grow and reproduce are dead things or things that have never, ever been alive. Plants, animals, humans all have the ability to reproduce as a natural part of how God made them to be. So everything's created to grow and everything starts 
as a very tiny seed, cell, molecule, whatever the particular description might be, a tiny seed, a fertilized egg. Is it that what God has made to be true in the whole of the created order, even the universe itself, we are told, continues to grow? Is it that what God has created in the, in, in the whole world stands as a backdrop to how we understand his plan for his kingdom? Is everything that we see around us a visual aid, a living illustration of how he wants the church to be? Is it any accident that the Bible always, almost, always uses living metaphors to describe the church and his kingdom? For example, we are the body of Christ that grows, its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. So there's this world that God has made where everything that's alive naturally grows and reproduces. And then God says, well, the kingdom of God, it's like a living organism that naturally grows and reproduces. Or as Jesus said, you are what? A a living vine. You're something that is naturally growing and reproducing. And if you're not growing and reproducing, you're a dead branch. And he says what happens to dead branches. So Jesus makes the connection that what's true of the world at large What's true about the way God's made things to be is also true about the kingdom that he has planted in our midst. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4 because Jesus drives this home with a series of parables of growth and reproduction. It's all right, we're not going to get into a, uh, a year eight Uh, relationships and sex education program. But growth and reproduction are at the very heart of what Jesus talks about again and again and again. Where's Mark chapter 4 in the Bibles in the pews? 1005? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, three yeses. That's in. That's more than the Prime Minister gets normally. Three S's. Here we go. Okay, 1005. Open it in front of you. You just see it there. And there's a series of parables. The first one is the parable of the sower. And, uh, uh, or the four soils, or depending on what, whatever um, translation you've got in front of you. And basically, uh, the story unfolds about a sower, and he sows the seed, and it lands in different places. Um, and we often focus a lot on all the different places where the soil lands, and we get very excited about that, and we miss the final thrust of this particular parable. Final thrust is this. Seeds that land in the right soil will yield exponentially, massively. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, accept it and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. You are one sower, one seed, one living, breathing Word of God. And as He sows you in the right soil, you have the potential to produce a hundred times. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. You start with one and it yields a hundred. 
Our reproducing potential, according to Jesus, is 100 times, which means if there's about 200 people um, in our church at any given moment in time, or perhaps literally in the building, that's an awful lot of people. That's 20,000 people is our reproducing potential if Jesus is telling the truth. Now, that's a little bit uncomfortable, isn't it? I find that uncomfortable. And, and because I find it uncomfortable, I'd like, I would like a get-out clause for this one. Perhaps he's only talking spiritually. Well, maybe he is talking spiritually as well. But when we get to the Acts of the Apostles, which is Jesus tells the theory, the Acts of the Apostles, the people working it out, as Jesus tells the story of Acts, what they are interested in is the crop of new Christians. There were a thousand, three thousand added, then it was five thousand, and so it goes up. Whatever else was going on, the yield that the Bible celebrates is people coming to faith. Now, even if we perform badly, we get a thirty times yield. That would be 6,000 people. Now, that wouldn't be bad. Hello? Have you all completely tuned out or not interested or both? Okay, so, so, so this is what Jesus is saying. My experience is over here somewhere and yours. So, we're together over here going, that's this massive disconnect. Not sure I really understand the words. And then there's Jesus over here going 30, 60, a hundred. Hold that thought for a moment. Parable number two. Here it comes, verse 26. The parable of the growing seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Verse 27, Mark 4. Night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself... The soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel of the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Growth, it says here, happens automatically. Verse 28, all by itself, the soil produces grain. He doesn't know how. There are two qualifications in this parable for the person who's doing the sowing, the man scattering the seed. First of all, he's clueless as to how it happens. Secondly, he enjoys sleeping a lot. Even if he doesn't get up, it still grows. Honestly, if you could strive less, if you could sleep more, would you be interested in a 30-fold gain? Jesus has got our attention. He's got the disciples' attention. Come back to that in a moment. The trap that we are caught in is this. We're as busy as we can be. There's not many people, probably, in this room this morning thinking, I spend my life twiddling my thumbs, I don't know what to do. Most of us are maxed out. So the thought of doing something else on top, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, you talk about things till you're blue in the face. That ain't going to happen. And then we go, well, we're maxed out. We're all this energy, all this sacrifice, all this work, all this serving. And what's our yield? In numerical terms, our our yield is a fraction. We're not even reproducing as a whole equal to ourselves. Fraction. Not even times one, let alone times two. 
And then we go, well, if we're putting all this effort in and we've got no spare time and we've got no more energy and I can't sacrifice, then we're stuffed. And that's the disconnect that the church is locked into. Not, not just our church, just generally. That's, what, that's the disconnect that churches are locked into. But what if there was a different way where you could be clueless about how it happens? That's me in. What if there could be a different way where you sleep a lot more? I'd like that. And a bad yield is 30. What if there was that way? Hold on to your seats. Parable 3. Again, verse 30. Uh, Again, he says. So, uh, it's not as hard as you think. Uh, Growth will happen by itself. Okay, thirdly, the mustard seed. Here we go. Uh, again, he said, what should we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable should we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is a smaller seed you planted in the ground. Okay, Jesus says what's obvious. Think about it for a moment. The mustard seed is incredibly small and inconsequential. It is the tiniest of seeds. Tiny and inconsequential. I, I can relate to feeling tiny. Shh, don't laugh. And inconsequential when it comes to seeing people come into the kingdom, can't you? And it reminds me about what Paul says. Um, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. I haven't got it on the screen, but let me just read a few verses to you. Because it, it just as I was reading about the mustard seed, this tiny, inconsequential, you look at the mustard seed and think it can do nothing. It's not going to achieve anything. Um, reminded me of these words from the Apostle Paul. And he writes 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, and verse um, 26 and following. He says, brothers, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. I mean, he's lucky in his church he had any of those. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. The weak things to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus and so on. Something tiny and inconsequential. And suddenly, can you feel yourself fitting into the mold? You need more sleep. You're clueless about how it happens. You're not even sure even what to do. You feel tiny and inconsequential when it comes to being part of God's kingdom building. Has Jesus got your attention in these parables in Mark chapter 4? Because what he's saying is that from very small beginnings can lead to something very great. What happens to the mustard seed? Yet when planted, it grows, verse 32, and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade, with such big branches that everybody can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Tiny, inconsequential, people who are clueless about how it happens, people who fall asleep on the job. Mark chapter 4. And notice, you see, what Jesus does, and there's a summary just at the end. God is really serious about this with many, verse 33, with many similar parables. This is really important, Mark's telling us. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke to the word to them. I love this bit because it's so real. As much as they could understand. Can you imagine them going, you're kidding, Jesus. No, you got it straight away. You thought, I'm in. Do you, know, you read it and you think, I'm not sure I can do this. Or is that just me? And as much as so he's pushing their, their thinking, their belief in him, their belief in themselves, and he's pushing them as far as they can understand and saying, you can be part of the sleeping on the job, the clueless workers, the, the tiny inconsequential, 
Because when the seed that's in your life is sown in the good soil, you can lead, yield 30, 60, or 100 fold. God is serious about growth and reproducing ourselves because it's all in creation. Because it's all he spoke about in his parables. And it's written, thirdly, all over his character. Think about some other stories that Jesus told. Whip through to Luke. Matthew, Mark, where you were a moment ago. Luke and John went to bed with their trousers on. So you remember it. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Luke chapter 15. Big number, 15. Small number, coming up when I find it. Small number, 3, verse 3. Luke 15, verse 3. Jesus tells these stories. And basically, Jesus is saying in these stories, always go for growth. He tells this story about 99 sheep that are safe and secure and one that's missing. What does he tell the story about? What happens to the one? Leave, go. Spend most of your time and energy on the one still to be found. Don't spend your time guarding the pen of the 99. Leave the pen, leave the ones that are in. They can look after themselves. Go for the one that's lost. Then he tells a story about a woman. She's got nine gold coins, for goodness sake. She's got nine of them all around her headband. But no, she almost leaves the nine and can't settle, can't do anything, because there should be ten. And then he tells a story about a son, two sons. He's got one quality son that's at home, and he's got one useless headcase who's legged it off. Go get the other one. Always go for growth, because that's God's heart. And not to go for growth, it goes right against the, the very heart of God. It's like, uh, I don't know, um, What's it like? It's like going, we've gone out for the day and we've gone to the beach and, and, and we've got four kids, one, two, three, four, I can count as well. And we get back to the car and there's the count, one, two, three. I've got three quality kids, let's go home. That's how weird it is when we say we don't need anybody else. I've heard that said in this room. We do not need anybody else. That's selfish. It's against God's heart. Wouldn't you agree? Everything in God's heart. There's still a kid missing. So what do we do? We stay at the beach. And we will stay at the beach until there's one, two, three, four. Because we've got four quality kids and three's never enough because we should be four. And while there's ever a kid missing, God says we're going for growth. We're going for the extra one all of the time. God is serious about growth in every way. For as long as there's a kid missing, we've got to keep growing. Started this by calling it, that's what I expected. Because we tend to get what we expect. At least that's our perspective on things. So, what do we expect? What do we expect? If we pause and put all this talk about Jesus and his aspirations for growth and what he believes is possible for us and so on, put all that to one side just for a moment and think about ourselves and our own experience. And I think about myself and my own experience. My observation about my own life, my observation about your life, my observation about us as a church and every church that I've been in is that we don't really expect growth. At best, We expect that things will stay 
the same. Who did you sit next to for the Christmas services? Probably the same people that you sat next to for the Easter services. We expect it to be the same. That's our expectation. Who do you expect will be sitting with you at the Christmas services that are coming? A little while yet. Sorry, the word Christmas sends panic into some people's minds. Think about our small groups or our missional communities or any other group that we meet into. Our expectation is we'll plan the dates for the whole year. We'll plan when we're going to have our Christmas party and our expectation is that the people in our group now are the people that we will be having our Christmas party with. You tracking? Is that true? That, that, that's our human nature. That's where I am. That's our natural expectation. And alongside that expectation, there is a fear that maybe someone who's in our group now will not be with us at Christmas. Maybe the people that I'm sitting with in church, maybe, maybe for whatever reason. Maybe. So our, our, our expectation is the status quo, and our fear is that there will be a shrinking, a diminishing. Is that not the case? That that's what naturally rises in our hearts. And there's a massive disconnect. We started this series by saying we've got to begin to think differently. We've got to turn our thinking inside out in order that we can live inside out. Jesus is challenging our expectations about what will be. Growth starts then. Three things to think about as we come into land. Growth starts by thinking me, by thinking me. If I want to see growth, then growth starts with me. Think about what we've been learning and reflecting about, not learning like it's a revelation, but just applying in this context. The the growth always starts from the smallest thing. The mustard seed, the single unit, the fertilized egg, the smallest molecule. Uh, That's where growth starts. That's why growth starts with you and me. When Jesus started, he called one and two and said, you come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus' instruction was not for us to plant churches, Jesus' instruction was for disciples to go and disciple somebody else. It starts with one. It starts with the smallest unit. Growth begins when one disciple makes a disciple of another. So we might ask the question, how do we become a reproducing church? That's a great question, isn't it? How do, we, how do we double this place? How do we reproduce ourselves? That's a great question. We might ask the question, how do we reproduce our small group? Our small group is fantastic, but what if there were two fantastic small groups? How much better would that be? Uh, how do we reproduce our missional communities, our missional families? One is genius, but what if there was another one? That would be even more genius. These are brilliant questions. The best question of all, though, is how am I going to reproduce myself? You see, we can never have small groups, missional communities, any other group you think of, reproducing unless the individuals within it are themselves 
excuse me, reproducing disciples. Groups do not reproduce. Doesn't matter how big they are. Doesn't matter if it's 200 people here or 10 people in your small group. Groups do not reproduce. The Bible never ever talks about groups reproducing. The only reproduction is that of individual disciples. Seeds reproduce, not trees. Is that true? The tree doesn't go, hmm, I'm popping out another tree. It doesn't. But the seeds from that tree, the people within the tree, if we're stretching the metaphors now, um, they, seeds, reproduce, not groups. People reproduce, not churches. Churches grow because people, disciples, make disciples. Growth starts by thinking me. Does that make sense? It's about me. Me, Simon. And it's about you, all of you, Eddie and Dave and Steve and Margaret and so on. Starts with me. Secondly, growth starts by thinking my relationships. The gospel travels, what was the medium in the New Testament? Through relationships. That's why the gospel travels so fast and in all kinds of chaotic directions because it travels through relationships. We thought about the, the, the sixth relationship rule. That's why it's genius. You can reach the whole of the earth through relationships in just six steps. It's absolutely genius. Not surprisingly, God thought of it first. That's the way he planned it to be. And look at this verse in Acts. From one man, verse 26 of Acts chapter 17, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Where you live is about your set of relationships more than anything else in a biblical sense. God decided exactly the sets of relationships that you should be in. That's your biggest clue as to how the gospel is to spread from you. That's what it says. God did this, verse 27, so that you might leave those relationships and travel somewhere else and do something different. No. God did this so that men would seek him because they're in relationship with you and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. You have been strategically placed. And that's why going back to that verse in Philippians that I shared at the beginning this morning when we were all together is so exciting for me. That Paul's in a place where all of us would have said, I'm stuffed. Paul goes, I've just got one relationship here, and that's all I need. And Caesar's household many of them come to faith. How amazing is that? One re- that's all, one relationship. That's all you need. Forget about saving the world, will you? As if that was on your agenda this morning. Think about saving the one. Because the world gets saved, as we've heard so often, one life at a time. We need to be turned inside out. It's not churches that reproduce, but it's people. But isn't there a flaw that if we're concentrating on the ones and twos, we'll never reach the masses? How are we going to get the kind of growth that we read about that Jesus expects? Well, growth starts by thinking small. Mustard seed, smallness. Growth starts by thinking small. And we see that over and over and over again. When God wanted to fill the whole earth, How many people did he put on the earth? One and then two. 
Okay, that's a dumb strategy for filling the earth. Is it? When God wanted to reach a nation called Israel, how many people did he call? And what was his name? Abraham. One person. And he gave Abraham and his wife Sarah how many children for this great nation? One. One. He needs to go to GCSE Maths. And I'll bless you. And your nation will number the numbers of grains of sand. When Jesus wanted to reach the world with the gospel, how many people did he start with? Two, four, six, core of twelve. You see, we've got to start thinking small in order to grow big. Because the growth that God desires is that of multiplication. Think about it with me just for a moment. You see, when, when, when Adam and Eve uh, were given that task, go into all the world, uh, sorry, uh, go into the world and be fruitful and multiply. So you could have understood if Adam and Eve, not accident and emergency, You could have understood if Adam and Eve thought, well, what we've got to do is have as many kids as we possibly can. You know, and Adam and Eve are just exhausted. And the kids are getting sick, and some of them are dying, and they can't look after them properly, and they they can't teach them to be responsible because they're trying to have loads of them, and there's never enough because they're trying to do it themselves. That's not what they did, is it? And I have to use this red pen because it didn't work, and Eddie fixed it for me earlier on to make this point. Adam and Eve knew that what they needed to do, if they just concentrated on two, what if we raise two children? that'll be strong, as it was, even one of those bummed out. Focus on two. Keep it small. Keep it simple. And we teach these two to grow up and to each raise two of their own. And it looks pretty pathetic, doesn't it? Second generation, and there's only four people. Think, what on earth are they doing? They've got to fill the whole earth. This is ridiculous. But you will know that two becomes four, becomes, becomes, becomes... And when you're down here, you're 256, and then you're 500-odd, and then you're 1,000-odd, and then suddenly each generation is producing multiple thousands of people. That's the fastest growth by miles. No other growth compares with it, because essentially what happens is that if Adam and Eve were doing it by themselves, all they could do is grow like this. But when we start kicking in the other, it looks much the same at the beginning, and then it goes like that. And that was Jesus' model, because it's always been God's model for growth and reproduction. Think small and think multiplication. Think, I, I need to reach a couple of people. I need to help those people reach some others. That's what starts something that becomes absolutely unstoppable. Uh, I don't know what you do. What do you do when you're not allowed to laugh? You know, you ever in situation? You all look at me. What do you do when you're not allowed to laugh? Apart from laugh, I've still got this vision, right? It's standard two, which is year. What's that? It's about year three, is it, or year four in 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 modern money? 
and, and Mrs. Davis is telling me off, and I'm laughing. And the more she tells me off, the more I laugh. And I'm la- it doesn't matter what she says. I mean, stop laughing doesn't work, does it? And I'm outside because I've been sent out of the classroom. I'm in absolute creases in the classroom, uh, outside in the corridor. And then you know what happens? You calm down. You think, I can make it back in, don't you? And what happens as soon as you step into the classroom? So now I count exponential 2, 4, 8, 16. I get up into multiple thousands really quickly, focus in my mind, and it's always a reminder that growth goes like that. In three weeks' time, the oldest member in our church, Jane Laws, is 100. A beautiful Christian lady. She's the only person in the last few years that rang me up and said, I've just led someone to Christ. Uh, She's blind. She can hardly hear. She can't walk hardly at all. 100 years old, prays for us, prays for me every day. And, uh, and she talks about her family, okay? Just Jane and her husband. Her family is now 150 strong. Uh, what did she do? Have 150 kids? No, she had a fair few. She had eight or nine. So she had a good go. But even eight or nine won't do it, yeah? Jesus only went for 12, I'm not sure I can do 12, do you? If Jesus only goes for 12, you know what? But, but I could go for a few, and I could suddenly see the start of something really exciting. Um, one of our missional communities called The Hive had a little bit of a bumpy start. We're going to watch a, a, um, just a few reflections of it from Heather, uh, Heather Barrington, the, the leader of uh, The Hive missional community. And uh, they were wrestling with, uh, well, we want to reach a lot of people. So do we go big? Or do we think small? Heather can't be here this morning, so we shot this video, which hopefully will work now. When you launched your missional community, it was called Messy Church, and it, it got off to an amazing start with loads of people coming. But suddenly we realised that was a snag. What, tell, tell us a little bit about what was going on. Uh, the original idea was to start Messy Church. It's a brilliant idea. It was growing all over the country. Uh, loads of people were coming along to events uh, and, and having great fun. And I caught this idea and, and realised that it would be a wonderful way, I thought, to start a, a missional community. But during the first weeks and months, we realised that it, it made us become very event-focused. Lots of people were wanting to get involved in the event rather than concentrating on building a family, building a community. Uh, So we took a step back from it and looked at it in a different way and decided that we'd actually wanted to start very small and just invite people that we already knew, we already had relationships with, and we wanted to uh, invite them into a family atmosphere uh, and into that sort of family fun, that messy church uh, uh, offered, but without uh, the huge numbers involved that would make it rather anonymous. So we changed our name and we lost the Messy Church title but kept its principles and became the Hive and worked from the idea of being like busy bees, uh, building relationships with people uh, and uh, invited them into our little event. Uh, on a Saturday where we'd build those relationships and those friendships and that's how it's been going since. And how is that better for you than having a, a big event with loads of people that looks really successful and uh, to the outside looking in, yes, yeah, great, we've got perhaps 100 people filling this room. Why in the end was that not a good idea for you? 
I think that uh, what we have with the smaller numbers is a real sense of family on a Saturday. As we have fun together, we spend a lot of time making a lot of mess, and then we um, have a, a little time together singing and having a Bible story, and then we have lunch together, and in that, it really does feel like family, and those who uh, have been invited along fit into that, have fun, we have great fun together, uh, there's a real sense of growing relationships uh, that we wouldn't have had if we'd had a hundred people come along to our first event. Uh, these have become our friends and have become our family now. And how then do you hope that it's going to grow? If you really want to focus on it being small, how, how are we going to see some growth over the months and years ahead? What's the dream? I think the dream is that uh, we see more connections, more relationships built. Uh, and we're seeing that already as uh, some of the people who, who've been invited along uh, are now bringing their friends. And so uh, it, it snowballs really into, into something very gently, very slowly. Uh, we're seeing those networks grow. And I think that's the dream, that uh, our hive grows out of strong relationships that, that are building through time and, and uh, I think it gives us huge opportunities for just sharing our faith gently uh, through those growing relationships. Because in the early days it doesn't look that successful. So Jesus went through three years but it didn't look that successful. He sent the crowds away. He could have gathered a big mob. At times he did. He could have appealed to them, but he, he stuck in to focus on getting a few people that would in the end learn what it would be to multiply and to reproduce. It takes one apple seed to grow an apple tree, and that tree in itself will produce enough seeds to produce a whole orchard. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, after the three years that Jesus has been ministering, building those disciples, the 12 had become 72, had become 120, they were poised suddenly to see some significant growth. And that's exactly what we saw uh, in the history of the early church. If one Christian, <clears throat> um, if one Christian was to uh, lead one person. In fact, let's have, a, let's have someone. Um, Linda, would you mind standing up and singing any song of your choice? No, I'm just kidding about that. Just, <laughs> just, just kidding. Just, just kidding, right? So if, if one Christian, so imagine Linda is the only Christian standing in the whole of the world. One Christian. If Linda leads one person to Christ every year, and teaches that one Christian to do the same, to lead one other person a year to Christ, Linda, by herself, while every other Christian in the world remains on their backside, could see the whole world won in 35 years. So that's just in your lifetime, Linda. No, easily within Linda's lifetime. because She'll go on to live 100 and whatever. Everybody stand up for a moment with Linda. If every Christian did that right around the world, how long would it take to reach the world? It would take between two and four years for the whole world to be reached. You can see what Jesus was going for, can't you? With the mustard seed and the big tree. Don't despise, it says in Zechariah, the day of small beginnings. Please be seated, everybody, just for uh, a few more moments. 
that the potential is absolutely massive. Okie dokie. Right. In our um, house this last week, there's been something of a breakthrough. And the breakthrough has come because of someone pushing forward and pushing on in the same direction until the breakthrough happened. We're a bit like that as a church. We're a bit like that as a church. We're pushing forward. It's a struggle. It's hard to think differently. It's hard to see how we might live and be different. It feels like sometimes it's exhausting. We'd want to give up and can't we just forget all about it and so on. But then suddenly breakthrough comes. And I want us to be asking ourselves the question, as a church, brilliant, thank you, as a church, how do we help each other to reproduce ourselves? So so how as a church are we going to help pushing each other forward until we get the breakthrough that we need? Because when you want to achieve at something, sometimes you have to try again and again and again. And Evan this last week was determined to do a somersault and land on his feet. But again and again and again. We're a bit like this as a church just now. I, I, I'm not sure I can win anybody to Christ. How do I disciple someone? I'm tired. I'm going to have to go back inside, have a drink, have another go a bit later on. I feel like giving up. I'll never be able to do this. I'll never break through. But then the moment of breakthrough comes and you do it for the first time. And once you've done it once, it is an amazing feeling what's happened. And when you win someone for Christ, it's like, yes! Suddenly the Bible makes sense. Suddenly I believe that I can do it. Suddenly I'm part of God's big story in a way that I've been dreaming about. But the brilliant thing is once you've done it once, what happens? It's very easy to do it again. You watch the confident swagger. Hooray! We're in that, we've got to keep going. And it's not the fun part. That's the fun part. When you get to that point and you think, yes, I can do it. And when I've done it once, I can do it again. When I win someone for Christ, I'm going to do it again. It's going to happen again. And suddenly you're on a roll. I can do it then whenever I want to. It's not a big deal. I can get on the trampoline and I can land on my feet. I can share my faith and I can pray for people and I can see people saved and I see people healed. I know what it is to help people grow in their faith. Once I begin to do it, I can do it again and it becomes easier and so on. But what do we need? Back to that question. What do we as a church need to offer each other? This is what we're trying to figure out at the moment. What do we as a church need to offer each other to help us become disciples who make disciples? You were chosen, chosen for this. I appointed you to go and bear fruit. And do you know what? We're beginning, as you keep, keep keeping on, to see a little bit of breakthrough. I can think of three people who found faith in the last few weeks around our community. I can't remember the last time, if ever there was a time that's happened, in the last 18 years that I've been here. 
So beginning to see some breakthrough. We've got to keep keeping on. And then there'll be the day praising Jesus. We'll swagger like Evan and go, yeah, we've sussed what it is by the power of the Spirit to be helping people find Christ and be discipled in Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to be a reproducing disciple. Steve's going to lead us as we respond together in a song about giving all that we are. If you ask Evan about the trampoline, hey, what, what do I do? I've got to try a bit harder. I've got to focus a bit more. You might have been trying this for a long time. You might be tired now because you've had 19 somersaults when you've landed on your backside. The one that will break through is the one you go, I'm giving it a little bit more. I'm going to give this one my all. Let's stand and sing.